Listener Production. Is now the right time to buy an EV? Should I be buying a petrol vehicle? Do I really want to make a long-term financial commitment at this time of the economy? Can I commit to a three, four or five year loan for a vehicle? G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer and the host of this podcast, The Good Oil. Now, if you're not familiar with it, you should be by now. But if you're not, giving someone the good oil is giving them the good stuff, the important stuff and the real stuff. And that's exactly what we do every time we record this podcast. We bring you conversations with entrepreneurs, with executives and experts, the people who know what's going on and the people who make things happen. Today's guest, as always, is someone who does make things happen and does know what's going on in a very interesting part of the economy, the sharing economy in particular, but in an area you may not have thought of. Chris Noon, Managing Director and CEO of Carly, welcome to The Good Oil. Hi, Scott. Great to be here. Mate, I really appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us. Uh, car sharing is kind of one of those things that's been around the periphery for a while. Carly's trying to do it in a very different way, in a very interesting way. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Mate, can I just kick off with, I guess, the question on most people's lips right now. Let, let's make it very, very, uh, we'll make it very timely. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, afterwards, not as relevant. We're recording this in the middle of September 2023. How is the economy impacting Carly right now. What are you seeing in terms of changes, if there are any, to the way your business is is coming through this current economic circumstances? We're seeing actually quite a few things happening with our business. So what we offer is car subscription. So we're an alternative to buying or financing a vehicle um, at the top end or renting a vehicle Mm -hmm. at the lower end. So the average period that someone takes one of our vehicles is around five and a half months. What we're seeing is that there are a number of people who are thinking, do I really want to make a long-term financial commitment at this time of the economy? Can I commit to a three, four or five year loan for a vehicle? Is now the right time to buy Mm. an EV? Mm. Should I be buying a, a petrol vehicle? So what we're finding is a lot of people are saying, well, I'm not really in the position to make a decision right now. So why don't I make a temporary decision, which is subscribe to a car, And then when I'm in a better position or I've got better confidence about the economy, then I can go and buy or finance a vehicle. What we are also seeing is other people are saying, I don't really care what's happening in the economy. I just want a really good car right now. That's cool. So look, let's let's dive in. I just want to kind of set that up because, um, again, it's just super topical and and different uh, guests are diff- different parts of the economy. So always trying to kind of triangulate the the kind of what's happening right now for our listeners. But let's get to Carly, mate. So C A R L Y dot co, by the way, is the, is the website. But Carly is the business, and car subscriptions now we all know what a netflix subscription is we kind of feel like we know what a gym membership is maybe a lot of us don't use as much as we should uh the motley fool frankly is a subscription business but we don't we don't uh, let members subscribe to cars so maybe you can just take us right back to tin tax what is a car subscription business at least in in carly's uh, sense uh, how does it differ from those other kind of opportunities or options you you've mentioned before 
So the key thing about car subscription is it offers flexibility. And if you look at the various options that are out there right now, you can start at the very short, very low cost alternatives. You know, walking is an alternative for mobility. Catching public transport is an alternative. People have been doing those for many years. What's been happening in the last few years is lots, lots of different mobility solutions have been entering the market. At the lower end of the scale and time period, you've got bike share or scooter share. Um, lots of people are familiar with ride share, uh, for example, Uber, and that might be for a trip of 10 to 20 minutes. Then you've got car share. So this is where a car is parked somewhere in your neighbourhood. You open it, you book it, open it with an app and drive it around for an hour or a day. Beyond, beyond a day, they start getting very expensive. Then your next solution after that is the really traditional, old, boring car rental. Now, car rental is has been around for many years. And the, the biggest um, sort of concern that many people have about car rental is the prices fluctuate quite a lot throughout the year. If you're trying to get a car around Christmas, it's going to be very, very expensive. If you want a car in Tasmania in holiday season, it's going to be exorbitant. So it's not a great long-term solution, but it's really good for that sort of seven to 14-day type period. Where car subscription fits in the market is we sit in between rental and the longer-term commitments such as lease, finance and purchase. So our average subscription period is around five and a half months and the minimum um, period that someone can take a car is 30 days. So we've really tried to position ourselves as the alternative to those longer um, term forms of financial commitment, but giving many of the advantages of making that longer term commitment to the vehicle as well. So all of the uh, expenses like insurance, rego, maintenance, tyres, roadside assistance are all packaged into a, in a, into a single price and you can book your car online and um, different to car rental, you actually choose the car that you get. If you want the red car with the white seats, you book that car. It's not just, oh, thank you, sir, you will get a medium-sized hatchback. Good luck. See you later. So we offer a lot more lot more choice. Um, and we, we feel that what people are really looking for, they're looking for flexibility, but they also are willing to make some form of commitment to the vehicle as well. That makes sense. So uh, long term, uh, let, let me. I, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if there's a dirty word, but is is there a difference between the subscription model you offer and what is effectively long term rental? Obviously, you choose the car you want, so that's a different thing. But if I went to an, uh, you know Hertz or somewhere else, said, "Hey, I want to rent a car for five months," said, "Yep, you can have this car." The difference I'm getting with Carly is I get to choose the specific car I want, perhaps. Um, I'm just trying to unpick the word subscription relative to the other options that are out there. Is it, is it just a different way of thinking about the, the purchase or, sorry, the, or the, 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 uh, the rental, if you like, or, or what's, what's specifically different there? Long-term rental is similar in many ways to car subscription, and our business actually used to operate in the long-term car rental um, industry. So the, the original incarnation of our business was a company called Drive My Car. And where we found our niche was in the long-term car rental market. But what we also found was, um, and this is, you know, personal anecdote, I'd go to barbecues on the weekend, people say, what do you do? Say, oh, I operate a you know, long-term car rental business and they'd walk away and I never talked to them. <laughs> uh, as soon as we as soon as we pivoted that business and then launched Carly and people say, what do you do? I say, I run a car subscription business. They go and get me a beer and I talk to them all night. Isn't that fascinating? So 
when we pivoted from yeah. that long-term car rental business, we didn't just say, put a new sticker on the on the product and say, look, we're very different. What we did was we came up with a whole new brand, a new website. It is a very different business model. It is a monthly recurring payment. It's not like a rental type product. The way we acquire the customers is very different. The way we give customers the choice of cars is very different. So we're trying to be as true as possible to the word subscription. But the reason that we've gone with the subscription product is it resonates with a lot more people. They they have a subscription for their mobile phone. They have a subscription for Netflix. We don't like to fall into the trap and say Netflix for cars. We think that's a really lazy way of actually talking about the product. And I find that some companies do that when they can't really explain their own product proposition. So, you know, yes, in some ways we are um, similar to Netflix, but we're giving you a $50,000 piece of metal, not yeah. just access <laughs> to a movie. So yeah. it is same but different. Um, but what we've found is that subscription really does resonate with the customer base, both retail and also corporate as well. And our average subscription period really shows that we're closer to a lease and a finance and we are to a, a shorter term type rental product. Um, the other thing is with long-term rental, you know, you may get a car that's already, you know, been thrashed around by 57 different renters. With a subscription vehicle, maybe there's been zero people who have had it. Most of our cars are very, very new or one or two people have driven that car. So we feel that the quality uh, of the vehicle is much higher in a subscription proposition as well. I, I'm wondering, I, I'm thinking this through, and I'm, I'm wondering about your business model. And again, you're a public listed company, by the way, so some of your stuff is public, some some isn't. And as with any of our guests, I'm not going to ask you to disclose stuff that is, uh, you know, commercial or in confidence or, or a competitive uh, competitive kind of, you know, giveaway. But I am, I am thinking about this idea and, and somewhere between the long-term rental and frankly, what is maybe, I was going to say genuine subscription. I don't mean yours isn't genuine, but I'm, I'm looking at your, your website now. You so, you know, some of your plans have, you can have two car switches a month, for example. Is is the long-term, is your long-term view that there'll be people who will simply say, hey, I never want to, um, I never want to buy a car. I don't want to lease a single car. I want to be able to basically effectively almost month by month choose what I drive, have access to a car. It's all bundled, as you say, and we almost treat it as a, as a recurring monthly expense, you know, access to transport as opposed to owning a car or leasing a single car. Is that the future or is it always going to be one of those in-between cars or or just when it, when it suits for, for individual purposes? We think the, the proportion of people who will... Um, subscribe forever to a vehicle will increase. We, we don't think it's going to be the major part of the market because if you do want to have a car for the next 20 years, it does make more economic sense to lease it or finance it or buy it. But however, there are many people who say for four months of the year, I don't need a car at all. So rather than actually paying depreciation or finance costs on a vehicle that's sitting in your garage, or someone else's garage you're having to pay for and paying insurance as well, you're actually better off handing the car back and having zero expenses. Um, and then for the eight months of the year that you do need a car, you might, might want to get the convertible in summer. You might want to get the, the SUV when you're going down the snow. So it gives you that ultimate choice. So for some people, there are some people who say, I just want a new car every few months. Yes, there will be some of those. There are other people who say, I don't always need a car. 
So the car that they get might always be a subscription car. Then there are people who say, for the next 12 months, I'm worried about my job or economy or, you know, I'm I, um, going overseas in 12 months' time. I don't want to buy a car then have to sell it. There are those people as well. So we find that there's lots of different use cases for subscription. And, you know, as the awareness grows of subscription, at the moment, you know, we've got a great opportunity. Most people have never heard of car subscription. Yeah, and yeah. We're seeing lots of different use cases um, come in. Majority of people are looking for that flexibility to meet an immediate requirement, and they want the opportunity to hand it back at some point in the future, but they don't know when that is. But what we find is people are coming in and say, oh, we'll probably have it for two months. 15 months later, they've still got the car. So we're still understanding the consumer behaviour as well. That is absolutely fascinating. Hey, tell me a little bit more about the the, the mechanics of the business, not literally the mechanics, but the, uh, the the way the business works. If if I'm a if I'm a you know like I get this, I, I've got a car. I'm probably not going to need a Carly vehicle anytime soon. Uh, probably at your core target market in regional New South Wales, so it's not not going to be where I'm doing. But if I was in I don't know Erskineville in in a, in a city in New South Wales or a new farm in Brisbane or again pick your pick your suburb and I might say you know what I walk most places but as you say for periods of the year or certain times I would I would want something like this. How do I go about selecting and then and then picking up dropping off uh, you know uh, what's 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 the process like for actually subscribing to a Carly vehicle. So the first point of contact is usually our website. So people can go through and choose from a range of cars that are available. So we've got a live feed of cars that are available now. There's no bait and switch. There's no generic vehicles. <laughs> you know, if, if a car is listed on the website, it is available. Nice. So you select the car and you can choose it by price range, by make, model, whether you want petrol or, or electric, uh, location as well. So you choose the car, you then go through our online subscription process. So we collect the basic details. We make sure you've got a driver's license. That's pretty um, important. Um, we go through any verification checks. Um, we collect the, the first payment uh, for the subscription. And there's no upfront deposits or um, membership fees. It's just the first two weeks of payment that we take. And then typically within 48 hours, you can be picking up the vehicle. Now, we're fairly unique in the subscription market in that we have we have our own fleet of vehicles, which is around about 70% of the vehicles we own. And around 30% of the vehicles uh, we secure on what we call asset light basis. So we don't own those vehicles, but we have access to them. So these could be vehicles that are owned by automotive dealers, they could be owned by manufacturers such as Hyundai, um, or they could be ex-lease vehicles owned by the fleet management companies as well. So in having those two different supply models, we can offer a really broad range of products. And if you have a specific requirement, we can often go out and find a car uh, for you as well. So if you do want a, a specific model of car or a specific color, we can speak to our network and see if we can secure that vehicle for you as well. But what we do is we wrap into that our payment processes, our verification processes, all of the insurance for the vehicles, we, we provide all that. So it's all harmonized for the customer. Yeah, nice. What's the process of picking up a, a vehicle? Is it is it a, a warehouse somewhere? Is it a parking lot? If I say great, I've I've, I've you know leased or subscribed to the car, I should say. I'll try and use the right language. Uh, I've subscribed to the car uh, and I want to go and pick it up. What is it, how how does that process work? 
Yep. So we have a number of locations um, in Australia. Uh, so we operate uh, our own facilities in some areas. And then in the case of um, some of our partners, such as automotive dealers, there may be collection from their site as well. So there is a handover process because, you know, it's if it's a rental vehicle you're taking for two days, you sort of just do you know a fairly quick, you know, handover of the vehicle. Because you're taking it for a longer period of time, we like to educate the customers about how it's how to use it. If it's electric vehicle, a lot of people saying, "I don't know how to drive it. Tell, tell me how to drive it. <laughs> uh, tell me how to charge it." So when we do all yeah. that, we do a handover inspection through an app. In that, we we collect information on the condition of the vehicle, the odometer reading, the fuel reading, um, and any damage that's on the vehicle. And we do that at the beginning of the subscription and the end as well. So that if there's any you know, damage beyond fair wear and tear at the end of the period. You know, and sometimes if a person's got the car for two years, there may be a little bit. We want to get really good evidence of the condition of the vehicle beforehand and also afterwards as well. So we don't have any, you know, disagreements with the customer about, you know, whether damage was caused during the subscription period. So we do that to protect ourselves and also protect the customer as well. And generally we find that our subscription customers, you know, look after the vehicle really well. And we've got a, a really good result from our insurance policy. And this really bears this out, the, the quality of the customers. You know, typically we profit share with our insurance company because we have such a low rate of claim uh, every year. Um, we're about half the industry average in terms of the proportion of claims that we have. So it's it's a really good model from a scalability point of view. In the cars very well looked after. How does insurance work from from a, a user's perspective? We're talking about the business again, but I'm just I'm curious as to the the business model in in that sense. Uh, what, what's the what is the subscriber on the hook for when it comes to damage? So we have three different plans for the subscription. So a sm essentially a small, medium, and large, and each of those plans has a free kilometer allowance of one thousand, two thousand, or two thousand eight hundred kilometers per month, and as and the the price increases slightly between those plans. And as the kilometre allowance increases, the damage liability for the insurance decreases as well. So on, on the larger plan, it's a $1,000 excess, which is quite similar to what most people have on their own personal insurance. And on the other plans, it's $2,000 and $3,000. So they're still quite reasonable. And considering that people might be driving around an $80,000 car, that sort of an excess, you know, is is fairly understandable. And I assume that excess, uh, just going to the insurers themselves. I assume the, the insurer is saying, "Well, you know what? If, if it's my if it's my car, I'm probably going to take more care of it, so the excess is lower. If it's a subscription car, or in other case, a rental car or something else, they're simply not prepared to accept a a lower excess on the on the basis of simply a higher probability or chance of someone doing the wrong thing. Is that is that why the excess is? And it's not just you guys. Obviously, it's it's car rentals, everything else. We all know that uh, car insurance can be expensive. Is that is that part of what the excess difference is? Do you think in in the industry versus privately owned vehicles? It's really just a, uh, I suppose, a commercial decision between us and also the insurer. And also it's, you know, feedback from the customers as well. You know, we've, we've seen some rental products out there where the excess can be over $5,000 and then they charge you every day to reduce that down. We, we don't want to do that. We don't want to sort of have those extra per day costs and, and sort of hidden fees. We like to be very upfront 
with um, you know what what is um, available, and we actively work with the customer to you know if they want to de-risk it, they can go to the larger plan and have the lower excess. Um, if they you know they think that you know they're they're a good driver, everything's fine. They they can opt for the higher excess. But it's as we said, as I said before. Most of our customers never have an accident. And that's a nice terror too. You, you make sure you're more careful when the excess is higher. Hey, yeah, let's talk about you for a sec, Chris. Um, you have worked in a similar industry that I haven't in the past. I, I note from your uh, your LinkedIn profile, you worked at Roadshow Entertainment. I uh, spent a little bit of time at 20th Century Fox, so uh, across the, the virtual hall. Uh, you then worked at Hasbro, uh, the toy maker, and, and uh, then often to uh, Vodafone, and then from there through a digital platform. You were at 9MSN for a while. Um, I'm curious as to your professional journey but also how you go from from those, I'm going to say relatively uh, establishment-type jobs, 90% probably a little bit earlier when you were there uh, in that kind of formative stage, but uh, to then kind of, you know, heading up what is obviously a, a very, you've got, you got massive plans for it. You've been there for almost 10 years. Um, maybe just tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be a CEO at Carly. So even from the, the Roadshow days, which was back when Roadshow was doing video distribution, I wasn't in the traditional part of the business. I came uh, okay. in and they formed a games distribution dis- business, so video games. So I came in there when uh, around the launch of the PlayStation and where the new consoles were coming out and where video games were really starting to ramp up. Um, I then moved on to um, another publisher called Microprose, um, which was bought out by Hasbro, the toy company. But once again, I was working for the interactive division of that business. So I had a lot of experience in working for more traditional companies, but in the upstart, digital, innovative part of those business. So part of me had to wear the suit <laughs> and understand how the bigger corporation right, right. worked. But the other part Mm -hmm. of me was wearing the T-shirt saying (laughs) we have to be innovative, aggressive, fast moving and break some rules in order to compete in an industry that the parent company didn't really understand. Um, That then took me on to uh, Vodafone. Uh, This is when uh, I went there to run the uh, mobile games business for Vodafone in Europe. And this is before mobile games existed on mobile phones. So people were playing Snake and that was about it. <laughs> so um, it's it's when we're having debates about whether mobile phones would have colour screens, um, whether people would have a, um, you know, a touch screen. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it, it was before um, the iPhone mm, came yeah. out. So we didn't even know what to call games. They were called Java Middlets, okay. which was a terrible name. So thank you to um, <laughs> Apple for actually calling them an app because it made our lives so much easier. But um, so I was involved in the mobile games industry and that was uh, in Europe. And when I came back to Australia, I headed up the mobile group for 9MSN. So once again, this was Channel 9 and ACP magazines and also Microsoft, which were strange, strange sort of partners in that sort of thing. But it was a very exciting time. Um, the business was all around PCs and desktop online products. And I was taking National 9 News, Ralph, Clio, um, Hotmail onto mobile phones. So once again, working with a more traditional company, coming in with a disruptive product, but also understanding that we were part of a bigger company as well. Um, And that's really what took me um, into uh, my current role 
where you know the when I was was hired, I suppose the the view of the directors was they wanted someone who could wear the suit but also wear the t-shirt as well, um, operate at the board level, but also you know be able to drive a, a fairly entrepreneurial business as well. And you're now at Carlos in almost almost a decade. It does seem to me like there may, maybe uh, I don't know if Carly was too early or maybe just it took a bit of time. As I know you've rebranded the business and, and set up the, the new way of doing things. Um, your most recent results, though, are, are astonishing. So again, recording this in mid September, you've just released your your full year numbers uh, and your subscription revenue is up by eighty two percent. You're also narrowing your your loss slightly. Um, the, the business seems to be. Yeah, maybe, uh, you know, one of those overnight successes that, that takes 10 years to build. Um, I'm curious as to kind of how you feel like this is moving. As you said, we've had Uber for a while. We've had those, those you know, every, bike share and scooter share all around the place. You see them everywhere. Um, the subscription model moving to larger products, obviously, maybe maybe it stops at cars. I can't imagine a larger product you would subscribe to than a house, but maybe that's rent. Um, just I'm curious as to the, the evolution of the business over those nine or so years. How, how have you got from there to here and, and how, does thing, how do things feel right now? Yeah, so when I originally joined the company, it was a peer-to-peer car share business. So it was allowing people like yourselves to rent cars to people like me. We provided all of the verification insurance and marketing in between. That was a good business, but we found it difficult to scale. You know, we found a niche in the long-term car rental business, but and we did deals with Uber, providing vehicles to Uber drivers. We'd have a big jump in revenue. Um, we'd have big jumps in revenue around holiday periods, but in February, the the, the sales would crash again. So we found it wasn't really a, a business that we could understand and control the levers and pull those levers and get a a defined result. So we were looking around and and said, we're really good at long-term car rental, but it's just not appealing to enough people. So that's why in March, 2019, we pivoted to car subscription. On the way, we also looked at other peer-to-peer businesses in equipment rental and also caravans as well. Um, But what we determined was we had better uh, strategic partnerships, better experience in the automotive industry, and we decided to double down in that area. Um, so we ran the peer-to-peer car share business and car subscription side by side for a number of years. But what COVID taught us was that car subscription was an, on an ups, up, upwards path every single month, and car rental crashed. Ride share rental crashed. So we saw that car subscription. If it can increase revenue in a time where the government is saying, do not go out of your house, stay home, and we have more and more people saying, can we please get a car to travel around, we thought we were onto a really good thing. So it's taken us a few years to get to this position. Um, I think we would have been a lot larger now if it wasn't for COVID. So what COVID did for us is we had great demand, but the supply of cars dried up. So we found it difficult to meet uh, the demand that we were seeing. We've now corrected that balance. So prior to COVID, once again, we were totally asset light. We never owned a vehicle. We were reliant on our industry partners providing vehicles to us and we'd, we'd pay a daily daily rate to them. Um, now that we own over 70% of this, the fleet, we're in the driver's seat now. Uh, we're in the driver's seat for marketing. Um, we're just we're just uh, recruiting our corporate sales team now because we see a, a big opportunity in the corporate space. 
Um, and we also have, you know, very good strategic partners. SG Fleet is the biggest leasing and fleet management company in Australia. They're our second largest shareholder and their CEO, Robbie Blau, sits on our board as well. So there's lots of different referral opportunities that we're realising with SG Fleet. So it's taken a while to get here, but we really feel now that we've got all the foundation right for the business. And our recent results show that with the increase in, in revenue and also gross profit. And the uh, opportunity for us now is to just scale the business, just to do a lot better. We, we know that we've got good customer acquisition costs. We've got good management of the fleet of residual values of insurance risk. So we've got all those areas understood. And now the opportunity for us is to really increase demand through the retail and also corporate channels as well. Looking forward, I'm curious as to the corporate side you just mentioned. Um, how, how do you kind of envisage that playing out? What's, what's the market for, for corporate car subscriptions in your mind? Um, we think it's quite large and quite untapped at the moment. And this is most of the reason that SG Fleet invested in us um, in late 2019. They looked at the car subscription and they said, well, we've got retail and corporate and government uh, customers and they love our three, four, five-year leases. It's absolutely perfect for a large part of their fleet. But many times those customers were saying, I need a car for six months. And that doesn't really work in a leasing model. And the way that you operate a leasing business with long-term finance is very different to the way you operate a subscription business. So they just saw that all of our expertise, our fleet, our operational procedures were really well suited to that shorter-term type proposition. It wasn't rental, which is, you know, you one day pick it up at the airport and charge a lot of money for it. It was offering really good value for money, but with the flexibility as well. So, yeah, we, we see that there's a big opportunity in the corporate space. As I said, we're recruiting our, our corporate sales team. The first person that team starts on Monday. So they're really eager to hit the ground running. And, you know, many fleet managers that you speak to, you know, their major challenge is getting optimum utilisation of a fleet. If they have an empty car park, that's great. It means they've got 100% utilisation, maximum ROI from all of their investment. But as soon as one person comes to them and said, I need a car, you haven't got a car for me, <laughs> they, they're then missing out right. on an opportunity. It could be a salesperson they can't put on the road. So what we try to do is provide that buffer for a fleet manager to allow them to have the optimum number of cars that they're leasing. And then for any extra um, um, demand that they have, they can subscribe to that vehicle. And we're trying to make a subscription vehicle for the fleet manager's point of view, look as, as much as possible like a leased vehicle, but it's much more flexible in terms of the time period. And I imagine too, um, that gives you guys, a, a, you know, I guess you're taking on some of the risk though, if you're owning 70% or so of, of your vehicles, you've got the same challenge of you want to keep your uh, vehicles obviously out and, and in circulation and earning money from that. Um, at some level, does that make your business riskier to run or, or able to make it up in, in margin because that, that surge pricing, if you like, is always going to attract uh, more margin to help you offset that? At some point, I, I absolutely get the, hey, we've got control of our fleet, now we can do what 
we want. On the other hand, um, the, the the light model you're produ- you're following previously was like, hey, this is great. We, we incur no cost. We just make the margin. There are obviously drawbacks in both, and obviously benefits of both. And you've made that made that decision. How does how does your business sit on that on that scale? If you like, for trying trying to maintain capacity, uh, but also not having exactly the same problem with those fleet managers having those cars sitting around not doing anything and, and costing you guys money. So utilisation of the fleet is the key metric across all of the business. Every single person in the business would be able to tell you what our daily utilisation is uh, every single day because that's what we watch like a hawk. So for us to be able to offer good prices to our customers, we need to have high utilisation. And unlike a leasing business, if a leased vehicle's returned, usually they sell that vehicle at the end of the period what we can do when a vehicle is returned, we can put it out for another subscription to another customer. Um, so our business is built around understanding that cars will always come back with 30 days notice. And through our website, we'll get them back out to another customer for another use. So we are in that sense, a sharing economy type business where we are um, sharing assets between various customers um, we've got to make sure that all of our business development as, um, efforts and also marketing campaigns are aligned with the available fleet. And we adjust our marketing campaigns on a daily basis according to the utilisation that we have of the fleet. So they're, they're the two key components. And the way that we sort of make up for that period of, of uh, that a vehicle is, is not utilised is what we call the flex- flexibility premium. And, you know, a subscription vehicle on a per day basis, yes, it does cost more than a leased vehicle, but it's the flexibility that the customers are looking for, the ability to get the car quickly and then hand it back with 30 days notice actually can save the money in the long run. So we feel that, you know, for us to offer the best value, if we get the highest utilisation, everyone wins out of that uh, equation. I really, I, I got to say, I man, I really like the model. Obviously, the Motley falls in a, in the digital space as well, so I know a little bit about uh, so, some of that ability to to really turn those things on a dime. But as you say, there there is a very significant niche in the market. Maybe niche is even too unkind. There's a def, def, you know, there's a spot in the market for the services you're offering and you have a really nice model 30 days notice of a car coming back is beautiful right because you have a month to plan how you're going to use that vehicle um you can use the benefits of the internet specifically for that marketing which does get turned on in real time or turned off in real time you can you can really flex it uh, it obviously requires a degree of nimbleness and I, I guess given your background you're the right bloke to be running the company but i can imagine that's that's quite exciting for you, quite exciting for your business. The the that that space where the big guys aren't don't want to can't play in that space. You know the as you say you, you're the the bloke in a t shirt in a company full of suits. I'm sure you you know full well as I do in, in my my corporate past uh, trying to make change in big you know established organisations with really staid calcified business models probably for the right reasons because what they do works for them but the you know it, it's the the ability for the insurgent the, the the disruptor to come in and say hey we're going to find a new way of suiting this or serving this problem that other people have said oh we couldn't possibly do that because dot 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 you've been able to kind of fill that fill that void and kind of expand it as you say not in, just for for retail customers but also for corporates and others yeah so we we are very nimble at making decisions and the reason we can do that one is we do have control over our own decisions but also we've got really good data as well you know we're not just newbies coming into this space saying oh we think the industry would operate in this way 
We've had 10 years of operating an insurance policy. We've had 10 years of verifying customers online. We've, we've had many years experience in understanding consumer behavior, how to look after vehicles. So when we go to make a decision, there's not a lot of guesswork in that. We do have parallels that we can look at and say, when we've done this type of deal before, or when we've done this type of customer proposition before, this is what the result was. Now we think it will be different this time because we're doing this extra thing, or we're working with a different partner who operates in a different way. So there's not a lot of, um, blue sky guesswork in what we do. There's a, a lot of experience that we're drawing on. And as I'm um, building the management team, I'm also bringing people in with a mix of experience, of digital experience and also automotive experience and people who are coming in from adjacent areas as well. So, you know, if you look at many players in the, say, leasing industry and in the automotive dealer industry, they're all great people. I don't need to be negative that they all play in the same market for most of their career. They stay in that area and they do the things the way that were pretty much done 20 years ago. Whereas when we look at it, we can say, oh, we understand how a dealer works. We understand how a leasing company works. We understand how the OEMs work. We understand how Uber works. We can put all that together and say, how do we want to operate? How do we think is the best way to offer our product and appeal to as many customers as possible? Makes perfect sense. Mate, but before we get on to our favourite questions, uh, let's talk a little bit about the future of, of Carly. Uh, obviously, the business is still loss-making. I guess scale is the, the holy grail here. You need to get to a point where you're marketing, your staff, the vehicles, of course, uh, locations. As I said, there's not one near me, but I'm, I'm sure at some point you hope there will be. And, and of course, growing the, growing the fleet, growing the network. Um, what's the, I guess, the, the challenge is how much to invest and, and how much to save and where the new capital is going to come from and how you get to scale. Again, I don't want you to divulge anything that isn't appropriate to divulge, but tell me a bit about that um, that, that future plan. Tell me about how you get to scale. What, how do you manage the the desire to get there big and fast, but also realize there's a, a very real you know cash uh, constraint on, on any business. Obviously, you can raise more capital, but have you gone about thinking about that and, and where do you get to from here? We're, we're fairly clear about the strategy and, and we've communicated this to the market uh, in the last few months. The key to our growth is asset finance at the moment. And what we've determined is, is having control of ordering the cars that we want in the locations we want at the time we want really allows us to meet the demand. If we can do that, we can then say, okay, how much money do we invest in marketing to grow the market? And in which locations do we want to do that? So that asset finance, and we announced in March a $10 million asset finance facility, which we're drawing down. Um, that's a well-priced you know, uh, facility with good conditions. So we will draw down as much of that facility as possible. And we'll also be seeking further facilities to grow as well. Um, we are always keeping an eye on utilisation. So we're not going to bring in 400 cars day one and say, let's deal with it. Um, we will bring those cars in, in batches so that we maintain that high utilisation but also manage our costs of storage and insurance uh, as well. Um, we, in the future, we see that there's, you know, electric vehicles will be a big part of the future. And we're a player in the electric vehicle market, but we're also conscious that it's still very early days in the market. So from a customer point of view, we're providing electric vehicles as a try before you buy type option. 
before people go out there and spend $80,000 on the electric vehicles and also fleet managers as well, they want to know how they how they operate in real life situations. And we can say, okay, take an electric vehicle for three months, um, use that vehicle, understand whether it meets your needs or not, you know, understand whether you need a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle or a battery electric vehicle. Um, all those different considerations, you can really only determine them you know, through real life situations. So there's a lot of um, individual uh, retail customers and corporate clients that we're now working with, with those electric vehicle um, solutions. And we still see that there's a great market in petrol vehicles for many years to come. You know, not everyone will transition uh, straight away, um, but we want to be playing in both markets to make sure that we are where the demand is. Um, I mentioned before, you know, moving into the corporate space, making subscription a normal part of a corporate fleet uh, is really where we want to be. And we think that there's a really good use case for that. Our, our opportunity is to go and educate the market uh, about that as well. Uh, so, you know, our future is not uh, about any sort of radical um, change in the business. It's about doing a lot more about what we've been doing doing a lot faster and a lot bigger, but also putting more emphasis in moving into those corporate and also electric vehicle markets. Yeah, perfect. I, uh, I, I don't know, mate. I reckon if there's any electric vehicle makers listening, they'd be mad not to come to you guys and say, "Hey, uh, you know, we'll 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 give the customer a, a kickback in terms of if they if they go from a Carly subscription to buy one of our EVs." Uh, it sounds like a perfect try before you buy a solution. The car maker doesn't have to do it. You guys do it for them. Maybe they stay with you. If they don't, they buy one of the vehicles. There's something there. But I'm not your marketing team, and I'm not a an EV maker. I'll let them make that decision. But it strikes me as, as you say. Uh, overcoming barriers for a new technology. Uh, EVs are, you know, on one hand, the same thing we drive for 100 years, on the other hand, entirely different. Um, I, I, anyway, I'll, I'll leave that to the market. If, they, if it comes about, mate, I'll, I'll expect a, uh, a commission on the idea. But other than that, we'll, um, we'll move on. Hyundai's already there. Oh, there you go. Hyundai's been partner of ours uh, for the last few years. So they're providing us with a number of electric vehicles. Um, we've got more Hyundai electric vehicles in our fleet than any other um, provider. And they're one of the, the forward-thinking companies that actually looks at subscription as a way of providing their their um, their vehicles to a wider group of people, but providing them the way that the customers want them. And they see that very much as an opportunity for electric vehicles as well. There you go. I should say, by the way, speaking of Hyundai, I didn't realize that, but we had Scott Naga from uh, from Hyundai on the on the, on the the podcast last year. Uh, so if any listeners want to go back and have a listen to that, they can have a listen to the future of mobility. Uh, Scott was about cars specifically rather than uh, rather than about uh, car sharing or car subscription, I should say. Uh, so we can uh, maybe come back, to, come back to that. Maybe there's a, a nice... Uh, a nice symbiosis there. Hey, um, Chris, let's let's finish off. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you. If I can finish off with our four favourite questions, uh, our, our listeners tend to be big readers, watchers, streamers, listeners. Uh, what's on your playlist at the moment, whether it's at home in front of the TV, on the nightstand, uh, podcast? What, what are you kind of enjoying at the, at the moment? I'm, I'm not sure there's anything that I sort of keep going back to. I pick up a lot of things through LinkedIn. I'm just looking at what other people are sharing. Um, so I sort of tend to dip in and dip out of things rather than having my, you know, typical go-tos on a on a regular basis. So uh, I suppose I'm a bit more of a, you know, a, a jump around, you know, various things that are popping up. It might be, you know, about wellness. It might be about automotive. It might be about renewable energy. 
it might be about resources. So I don't feel that, you know, any sort of certain sources are going to give me everything that's, you know, helping to to inform because I'm, I'm touching on so many different areas in my work every day. You know, I want to have as the, the wider view of the world as possible. And I don't I don't want to be beholden to the LinkedIn algorithm, but I feel that some <laughs> of the people I'm, I'm following have, have got some pretty good insights. It is one of the, I mean, social media has got a lot to answer for, but it's one of the great things about it to be able to curate sources but also people and that combination i'm exactly the same mate i i I very rarely go straight to news websites these days i start with twitter or something else and kind of work in that way because once you've created as long as you're careful about the curation as you say you don't be victim of the algorithm but it makes a a whole lot of sense i really like that answer hey um this might be obvious given given the industry you're in and what we've just talked about but uh, maybe other than car subscriptions what trends are you watching what's what's fascinating whether it's about your job business in general the world at large uh, what's what's got your attention um, I suppose it's the way that people are thinking about mobility in general. Um, a lot of people are saying, well, should I be moving into an electric vehicle? Then they're saying, oh, do I need solar panels on the roof? Do I need need uh, batteries at home? Now, I think they're really good conversations. Also, people saying, well, I'm going to ride to work or I'm going to catch public transport. I think people thinking further outside the square but also taking more responsibility for their transport. You know, previously it was someone will sell me a car, the government has to provide a a road or the government has to provide a bus or an airline has to provide a plane for me. Now people are saying, okay, I can make better choices about what I'm doing. I might need to make a little bit more effort about that, but I might get some exercise or I might avoid the traffic jam if I'm riding a bike and things like that. So I like the idea that people are being a lot more creative about their mobility solutions, but also how they power them through solar and things like that as well. So I think there's a lot of really interesting things going on in that renewable energy area that's touching on mobility as well. That's fascinating. Um, what advice would you give someone, whether it's someone who was uh, looking maybe to get into the, the uh, mobility area or car subscription, maybe just uh, running a, a new business or even potentially, given your background, someone who's had to wear a T-shirt in a, in a room full of suits. Uh, what advice would you give someone who is starting out in business about uh, maybe some, some uh, directions, some, some good ways to, to get their career off to a good start? Um, I think one of the key things is having strategic relationships and forming them really, really early. You can learn from them but they can also offer you access to a market or access to supply or access to something that is going to be sustainable for you and unique to you as well. There are thousands of ideas out there. There are thousands of people starting startups, but you need that hook that's going to get you to that next step. You know, it's not just about name dropping. It's about bringing real value into your business and having that sustainable point of difference is I think what anyone has to establish as quickly as possible. I like that. That's really, really good advice. Uh, Chris, I, I'm an optimist by nature. Most of my guests are. I figure if you're trying to get a grow a business, you've got to be optimistic. I guess maybe you can disagree with me. If you are an optimist, what are you optimistic about? Um, optimistic about um, where the economy is going in general. I know it's a little bit rocky at the moment, but I think we're really lucky to be living in Australia. There are many other uh, parts of the world where life isn't so good now. So I'm optimistic that, you know, we are making some bigger decisions. I, I, I think in the last sort of 10 years or so, I don't think the government was really making longer term decisions. So I think there, there's better thinking about the long term. 
you know, some, some of those decisions are, are not great and some of them are policies that will never be implemented. But I think that there is a more of an appetite to be making bigger, longer-term decisions. You know, if you go back to the 50s, we had the Snowy Mountains scheme. That was an amazing, you know, engineering feat and investment. Um, we haven't really seen those things, you know, since that. And I think we're starting to move towards those bigger things MBN, maybe, maybe it wasn't, you know, it didn't really, you know, deliver that much. But there are other other things happening now that could be bigger, more game-changing uh, investments that are, I think are quite interesting. I absolutely hope you're right. Chris, it's been fascinating talking to you and about Carly. I hope you have all sorts of fantastic success in the future. Chris Noon, Managing Director and CEO of Carly, thank you for joining me on The Good Oil. Thanks, Scott. Great to talk to you. This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden, and imaged by Link Kelly.